there's just too much leverage in, in the U.S. system. They can't let the market draw down too deeply. We can't go into too deep of a recession. And everybody knows this. They've been conditioned to it. And this is the QE moment where the Fed pivots and they step in and they print a face-melting print. Hello there. How are you all doing? You doing well? You having a good week? do have a couple of things to update you on. Firstly, I have just released my new film, Part 3 of Follow the Money. It's called Dear Elizabeth Warren, and it's all about Bitcoin mining. When I headed out to Texas and Oklahoma to find out about how the mining industry works, I learned so much on that film. So please go and check that out. That's on the What Bitcoin Did YouTube channel. Also, for Miami, the conference is coming, and on the 17th, we will be hosting a WBD Live with Lynn Alden and Jeff Snyder. It's going to be absolute fire. If you want to get a ticket to that, head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today we have my buddy James Lavish back on the show. Now, I first hung out with James in LA last year. We had him on the show with Foss, and I knew I had to get him back on the pod. So when we were planning the live event in Bedford and knowing he loved Rail Bedford, we got him out. We flew him over, and we also made a show. Now, we got into the chances of the U.S. heading into recession and the rise of the BRICS nation. So I hope you enjoy this. you got any questions about this or anything else, you can hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com or jump into our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. We've got a load of bonus content there early releases, and a Discord server where me, Danny, and Ben are always hanging out. All right, on to the show. Hope you enjoy this. All right, James. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How have you enjoyed your trip to Bedford? I have enjoyed it immensely. Yeah? Great little town here. I love it. You enjoy the football? <laughs> There's nothing better than a good football game on Saturday. <sighs> Drunk a lot of beer yesterday. <laughs> well... Yes, you did. No. <laughs> yeah, you did. You were bringing me beers, man. I will um, not, not admit to that. Thank you for coming over. Mm. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. It's very. It's been. Uh, it's been awesome experience. Great. Uh, great people here. We're going to make it an annual trip, and uh, we'll have an invite for you as soon as we know the dates for next season. Awesome. Um, this final interview of the uh, sprint. So, a few things we're going to want to get into with you. Yeah. Uh, Firstly, there's been a lot of talk of recession. In the UK, uh, we just missed out on recession. Uh, we had no growth, but no negative growth. Mm -hmm. And so it, it came out on the radio the other day. They said, we've just avoided recession. Um, but you believe we're, we're going into recession. It's inevitable, right? I mean, well, in the US it is. Yeah. Uh, I would say in the UK it is as well. Everybody's kind of on the uh, backside of the U.S., right? So, um, yeah, I mean, if you look at all the indicators and, and what uh, all the, the, uh, the things that I look at, which are like yield, the, the yield curves, and they've been inverted for a while now. And it's a, it's a, it's a pretty solid indicator. Uh, it's pretty much 100% if indicator if you're looking at the three-month and the two-year treasury. And, uh, and, and what those things are doing. But for your listeners and trying to understand exactly how that works is, so if you look at the yield curve, right, and uh, you plot out all the yields of, of the treasuries, you've, you know, anything from Fed funds, uh, the, the overnight one month, the six month, one year, two year, five year, 10 year, 15 year, 20 or 30 year. So if you, if you plot those out, 
in a normal yield curve, you'd see the rates at the front end of the curve lower than the rates at the far end of the curve, right? So longer duration uh, assets should be at a higher interest rate. Because it's more risky. It's more risk. You're, you're risking for a longer period of time, right? So in a normal environment, in a, in a solid, healthy economy, your yield curve should move up from the, the shortest duration to the longest duration, right? Yeah. But in our yield curve currently, our Fed funds is up around 5%. And you've got the yields that are, they're, they're decreasing as you go further out on the yield curve. And so what does that tell you? That tells you that people believe that yields are going to be lower in the future, that interest rates are going to be lower in the future. And the reason they're telling you that is because they think that the, the economy is going to contract. And when that happens, you have your yield, your, your, your yields that you're looking at, right? Um, so you look at the three month, the two year and the 10 year are typically the, the three yields you're looking at and you plot the three month or the two year against the 10 year, 10 years, kind of like your, your bogey treasury. It's your, it's your, uh, benchmark, right? So when you look at the three month and you plot it against the two year, it's deeply negative. And, it, and it's been like that since, uh, last July, I believe. And so um, and if you look at the two year and you plot it against the, the 10 month, it's, it's about 60 basis points negative versus the three month, which is about one and a half percent negative. And so it's pretty deep. It's a pretty, and, and that, that's about as, as deeply negative as, as it's been since 2008. And so it's a strong indicator. Now it doesn't mean that you, that you're going into recession, like right then it, it, it typically goes negative, it, it flips negative about a, somewhere between six and 18 months, maybe two years before we actually hit a recession. So it's, it, it, it kind of uh, signals that that's the direction we're going in, right? So, but why does it, it, it so, but it, it not only shows that we're going into recession, it kind of causes it, right? So, and I, and I wrote a whole piece about this and Danny, I think you read it. Um, about yield curves in, in my newsletter months ago. And it, it not only it, the yields, the, the economy is not only affected, it's affected by the yield curves being negative. Because if you, if you know how banks work, they typically lend at the shorter, uh, at the, uh, they, they usually lend at the longer end and borrow at the shorter end. So if those are inverted, then they are not able to make as much money and the, the, the credit kind of contracts. Okay. All right. So as credit contracts and, and liquidity dries up, they're not lending as much. That's when, you know, you see it's more difficult to have access to capital. If corporations have and companies have less access to capital, then it's more expensive for them. Their margins compress, their profits decrease and they have to wind up either um, stopping certain businesses or laying off people. And it just heads us right into recession. It's, it's just, a, it's a really strong and, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a very um, reliable indicator when you look at yield curves. Right. Okay. So. So should we be referring to it as a banana? We're going to banana. <laughs> Danny told me this. Tell the story of Afrikaans because this is brilliant. This blew my mind. Yeah. So back in back in the seventies, there was an economist who was at Cornell, and uh, and he when he taught his class, he 
and I think Greg Foss actually had him as a professor because he reached really? out to me after I wrote this. He was like, yeah, I had him as a professor. So, uh, but he said, you know, he, well, Al, Alfred Kahn, he, um, he was, he liked to speak very simply and so he could communicate to his students well. And so, but he was hired by the Carter administration to be what they termed the inflation czar, right? And so, um, and if I, I forget what his title was, but um, it was, God, what was it? Uh, it was, and I'll look it up here so we, so we have it. Uh, it was the, uh, he's a, the chairman of the, um, the Council of Wage and Price Stability, right? So he was in charge of, of tackling inflation. And this is in the 70s when inflation was raging out of control. And he kept, he kept telling uh, Carter and, his, and you know, his, his cabinet and speaking to the press, he was talking about how we're in a recession, we're, we're like nearing a depression. And he kept getting in trouble for that and, and like getting called out onto the carpet. And, you know, and, uh, and so he finally just got fed up and he started, he said, fine, well, I won't call it a recession. I'll call it a banana. (laughs) (laughs) And so he he literally, he was quoted, he was quoted in, in the uh, Washington post. And he said that, you know, we've had the deepest banana we've had in 35 years and inflation hasn't, hasn't really come in yet. And so it, it pissed them off royally. What tends to happen to to inflation during a recession? Well, you know, uh, inflation ceases. You can have, you can actually have deflation depending on how bad the the recession is. But, you know. um, Is that the potential deflationary moment that we discussed the other night at the... No, I I mean, that's that's a little different. Um, So what, what Jeff Booth talks about is how technology and and this is a really strong concept. It's a really important concept. Technology creates um, deflation. It's mm-hmm. deflationary, right? Because it, it, if you think about it in the examples he gives, is like you used to have, you used to go and buy a camera. Well, most people don't even buy cameras anymore. The, the iPhone, these, these cameras are incredible, right? So where, how do you paying for that? Well, you're, you're not seeing that anymore. It's embedded a little bit in the price of the iPhone, but then talk about calculators, right? So you used to physically, I had calculators yeah. and, you know, an HP 12C that I used um, every single day at work. Now it's, uh, it's the regular calculator is just embedded in this phone and you're not paying for that. It's just gone. Like you, you're not, you're not creating the components. You're not assembling the components. You're not, you know, think of all the supply chain and all the distribution chain that's just completely eliminated from nobody creating, manufacturing buying and selling calculators anymore. So that's deflationary. It, it's, it's nowhere in GDP anymore. It's just in your, it's in your phone. So that's deflationary. So technology creates deflationary pressures. The problem is that's bad for our, our treasuries, right? Because we operate at such a deficit and we've talked about this before. Our deficit is so high that we have to keep borrowing to pay that that hole that we're creating every single year, we have to close that gap, and we close it by selling more treasuries, and then using that capital to pay off those those maturing treasuries. Right. So the problem is that deficit is growing, and our and our our debt is growing, and so we need inflation in order to tame that. You know, keep it from getting out of control. 
Why? Because, well, the higher inflation you have, it's more GDP in nominal dollars, right? Without inflation. And so when you have higher GDP, then your tax base is bigger and you get to tax those dollars and pay down that debt that you've created that you that that you have put on your balance sheet, right? So they need to keep creating higher and higher GDP, you know, that it's it's manipulating higher and like more and more GDP in nominal dollars by creating inflation, manipulating interest rates to create inflation. And so that's what we're doing. And the problem is though, technology is naturally deflationary. So they have to just print more and more money and manipulate the, the, uh, the, the whole monetary system more in order to manufacture this inflation. It's bad for you and me, it's good for the treasury. So really, I mean, I think, I think I'm starting to come to an understanding that treasuries and the balancing of inflation is really a way of just stealing from us constantly. Yes. It's a, it's a form of uh, silent tax. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it hits certain people worse than it hits others. But they get to control the entire market, the interest rates. I know central banks are meant to be and independent. Central banks, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's QE, it's, yeah. it's all of it. it. It's all rolled into this manipulation of money. But if you got rid of central banks and bonds, <laughs> would we even care about GDP? I mean, you want your economy thriving. It just shows that you've got a healthy economy, you've got a healthy uh, you know, a community. So whether it's a, an island or a country, um, and you want expansion, people are naturally productive. You know, if you sit around all day on the sofa for a week or two, you, you, you're gonna feel terrible. Mm. You're gonna feel terrible physically, you're gonna feel terrible mentally. Like people like to be productive. They like to be interactive and, and uh, produce things. So, um, but the problem is when you force people to be so productive uh, that they have no free time, they have no downtime, they have nothing that, that they have just for themselves. And I'm not talking about sitting and watching Netflix because if you're, if you're out and working for 12, 14, 15 hours a day, you don't have energy to go and do something physically rewarding for yourself to go climbing or go running or, to, you know, you just don't have that, you don't have that energy and you probably don't have the time if you want to spend some time with your kids or you want to have, you know, you want to sleep. So the problem is we've gotten into a situation where people have two, three jobs, households have three, four, five jobs. I mean, it's, it's out of control and they're just trying yep. to keep up with this inflation. Yeah. This was what Dominic Frisbee spoke about in this last film I made on inflation. He referred to it. I think it's the biggest crime of our times or the biggest scam of our times. Cause he, he said, we used to have households that would live on one income. Yeah. Back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, and when I was a kid, my, my mom had to start working cause we just couldn't keep up. And which is a crime because my dad was a nuclear engineer, you know, but he just wasn't making enough money to support all three kids and get us in schools and pay for college and all. It just wasn't possible. But we've now got households with two incomes or maybe three incomes that can't keep up. And they can't keep up. Can't. So I you know, just read something the other day and you know, you have to take some of this stuff with a grain of salt, but there was a study and, um, and, and some sort of survey that said that people have started skipping meals yep. in order to make mortgage payments or make rent payments. Yep. That's a problem. That's an indicator of what we're talking about. They've pushed people the scam too far. Yeah. 
Man. Your dad was a nuclear engineer, a nuclear power engineer. Yeah, so he uh, designed steam turbines, ah. uh, steam turbines for uh, for nuclear reactors, and they were in submarines. So his he worked for GE, Navy Nuclear uh, Division, and uh, and so they their client, their only client was the Navy. So uh, he, what would he make of all these plants being decommissioned in Germany? No, he would He'd be, be like, disgusted. Fucking he would be disgusted. This is just insane. I mean, it's it's literal insanity. Yeah. I mean, they were perfectly productive, and they're closing them down. And people don't understand. We don't have to get into nuclear no, uh, discussion because it's, <laughs> but it's uh, it's it, it's a it's going to be looked at. They're going to look back at that as being one of the largest mistakes they've ever made yep. on energy policy in the history of Europe. Right, back to recessions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are recessions healthy themselves though? Should an economy have recessions? If we're gonna have expansion of the economy, do we not need to have recessions? And is it not good to have a period where you know, we can wipe out some businesses, wipe out some jobs, the ones that aren't really? Because I always think the strong businesses will survive. Well, I mean, think about it. So why are, why are weak businesses surviving? Well, they survive and they 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 thrive, even though they're weak businesses, because we've had ZERP, zero interest rate policy for so long. Mm. And it's just this free capital. And you know, access to free capital allows bad actors and, and poor management, poor risk management to, to actually live and that's or keep going. And that's the problem. So uh, in a normal economy, sure, you're gonna have ebbs and flows. I mean, it, it's, it's organic, right? But in a normal community, but when you manipulate this much, you, those those ebbs and flows turn into peaks and valleys and they just get larger and larger. And so you think we might be heading for quite a deep recession? Um, well, it's hard to say. I mean- Potentially. So when you, I mean, the problem is we just don't know how, we we haven't seen the effects of all these rate rises. Why? Because we've We've raised the rates so quickly, so rapidly. And I mean, I've got, I don't know if you can pull it up, but that uh, I've got one uh, chart that I, that I showed Danny earlier today that is the uh, just the rate of the rate rises in that the Fed has done. Yeah, I mean, like... What's the time scale on that? Uh, look at that. It's just the middle of, it's just the middle of last year. We just started raising rates. Look at how quickly we've raised those. And so the problem is we haven't had time. Look at back in the, even in 2016, look at how look at how we started raising rates and it's just a stair step and that's kind of normal, you know? Right, okay. And so, so, and so you start seeing some of the effects of the, of, so if you look at that in, in 2016, you could start seeing those, uh, the effects of those raises in 2018, 2019, 2020, right? But look at how long it took for, for those, to come into effect where we started decreasing rates. This is before the pandemic. And, you know, you started seeing those, look at how long it took. But we, I mean, we are just raising these things. That's a rocket ship, you know? I mean, that's, it's not healthy. And, and so, so when you look at 2004, that's what really triggered the uh, global financial crisis because the rates went up, people couldn't afford their mortgages, people who'd had 100%, 120% mortgages I was reading about, multiple homes, yeah. they were trying to flip them. Yeah. And I guess as... I mean, some of that some of that was just poor poor policy around the mortgage market. Yeah. Know? And so but could, most of that. But do you think we could be ha heading to a... Like, could this have a housing crisis <clears throat> ramped in it again? 
I don't think it'll be like that. No, okay. because it's not centered around housing. Right. Okay. The problem with this is all that leverage is, is embedded in, in what we're seeing in the banks and we're, we're seeing in, in now, I mean, the commercial real estate market now that that's, it's different than housing. I mean, that's, that's embedded in these small banks. The small banks own all this paper. And so that could be a problem. That could be a major problem, but you know, what we're not seeing is, is the effects of all those rate raises on all these companies that are now, they're having to refinance notes. They're going to have to, you know, try to, to try to borrow capital. They're trying to get uh, lines of credit and the lines of credit are way more expensive. Now you're seeing individual balance sheets, um, individual credit card um, holdings and and the balances are, are just skyrocketing and the rates are up over 20% average. That stuff is going to start. Those 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 uh, birds are, are going to come home to roost, and that's the problem. And we haven't seen that yet. So my 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 fear, mm-hmm. and this is so. I, look, I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know, Peter. But I what I I, I feel I, there's a high probability, and I think of everything in, in probabilities and likelihood, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a high likelihood that we hit a, a pretty you know healthy recession here and for the reasons that we've talked about all the leverage the low interest rates skyrocketing higher and then you know the inflation people getting squeezed it it, it could be it could be a powerful drawdown so mm-hmm. we could just see a watershed moment and that could come in the form of a credit event and I'm talking about one that isn't saved by the Fed and the Treasury, one that we don't have the, you know, this new little BTFP program that comes in and saves and, 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 you know, shores up the banks and then we're okay and we can move along. And that's just a plug in the hole of this big wall that could, that could break, that dam could break. And I don't know what that could be, what that will be, but there's a, there's a high um, chance of that there's much higher than non-zero chance of them, there being a credit event. And when you say credit event, do you mean could be some large bank failures mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll just let them fail? It could be like Deutsche Bank or, well, they can't let Deutsche Bank fail. Okay. Right, so the, you've, got, um, you've got certain banks that are protected. They're protected under the G20 and they're, uh, and they're, they're on a list and they're too big to fail. Okay. If they fail, they'll take down the whole financial system. Why? Because of con- contagion. It, there's there's counterparty risk between the banks. If one fails, this one might fail. It might take down the other one. And, and that that counterparty risk is too large, and it'll those the the ripple effect from that will reach just about every single corner of the financial industry, and it'll just collapse. Right. That's that's their thesis. So they can't let any of those collapse. Jamie, Jamie Dimon is safe. So is his job, so is his money. So, but Okay, but outside of those banks, it could be some other banks that are allowed to fail, will fail, they will allow them, and that could have some contagious... It could, I mean, it could, be, it could be a non-financial institution that fails, you know? It could be a very large company that has counterparty risk that, we, that we're not thinking of that that fails we just don't we just don't know we mm. don't know where there's some there's some dark spots in there that we that we're not aware of you know private equity and venture capital and jeff and i were talking about this this weekend uh there's there are books that are just not marked properly yet you know these these companies these venture capital firms they've got these uh they've got these portfolio companies that are struggling to raise capital and, uh, right. and especially in this environment. And if you can't raise capital at the valuation you did last time, you have what's called a down round. Down round and if yeah. you have a down round, then 
the venture capital firms has to have to mark those books down. And so that's a, that's a, uh, that's just one spot where we, we aren't seeing that. And the same thing with the, the private equity firms, you know, it, as interest rates go up, cost of borrowing goes up, cost of capital goes up, right? So the margins compress the, you know, the, the firms, these, these companies are not making quite as much money. And so they shouldn't be valued where they, where they were last year, perhaps. And those, those marks, a mark to market, which is done by hand by these, by these, you know, these private equity firms that has to be, uh, that has to be fixed. So, um, and when you, and you go in and you mark to market these, these companies, then the profits are a lot lower. And that's just a, yet another spot. We just don't know. And that could trigger a lot of people taking interest in these other companies and expecting everyone to reprice. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you, if you can't get capital for, for, um, for one of these portfolio companies, it might just, it, it just, you just don't know where that's going to ripple out. It's it, it's difficult to say. Could be Twitter, and <laughs> it could be. I mean, not funny, but yeah, it yeah. could be. It could be Twitter. That's a lot of debt. Forty four billion. Yeah, and uh, and the problem with that. So talk about that. Actually, I think I wrote about this too. But um, the the problem with that is that these banks are saddled with that debt. It's called they're hung. They're hung with this debt. Right. Right. They, so what happens when when you when you do leverage buyout? Banks will they'll they'll basically lend you their balance sheet to do this buyout, right? And they'll say, you can, you can park that, that debt here that you're going to go take over this company. You're going to, you're going to make some changes. You're going to make it more, you're going to make it profitable or more profitable by these changes. And then you'll be able to pay off this debt. Um, and what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to syndicate it. We're going to underwrite it, which means that these banks will, take that debt onto their books and then sell it to their customers, right? So they'll sell it to the private equity firms. They'll sell it to high net worth individuals or family offices or endowments, and they'll sell it to them, right? But in, in Twitter's case, they took down that debt and they're hung with it. They're hung with billions and billions of dollars with this debt and it's sitting on these banks' books. So Twitter goes under I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be the event. This is just this is just one of those things yeah. that if Twitter goes under, well, these these banks and maybe one of the smaller banks, it really takes them, it, it hits them harder than than we realize, and it's a problem. So, I mean, you just you just don't know, and that's just yet another spot of leverage in the system. This show is brought to you by Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world's leader in Bitcoin security, and it's the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time to take your security a little more seriously. Because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger user since 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. The Nano S to me is the best hardware device on the market, so if you're not managing your private keys, please do go and check out the Nano S or the Nano S Plus now. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. 
Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost excess renewable energy, and they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. And they are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met them recently in Canada and were super impressed with Iris Energy and their values, which align with us. So they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did. We are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films to our live events and they're even sponsoring my football team, Real Bedford. So I'm really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. Now, if you want to find out more about Iris Energy, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y dot C-O. Also today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. And so in your mind, are you partially preparing for a recession? How do you prepare for a recession? Yeah, so, um, well, you want to have your money in, in safe assets. And so I, I have um, a large percentage of, of my net worth in... in uh, gold and silver and, uh, and hard monies. Uh, and I also have, uh, I have capital in Bitcoin, obviously. Um, now that said, look, if we hit a recession, we have a credit event. What happens is what we, we have a saying on Wall Street is all correlations go to one, which means that everything sells off. And so what, because what happens is you, you step in, you literally step into the, the trading floor. And if you're, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a hedge fund, if you're a, a large investment firm, whatever it is, and you step in and you see the market drawing down, you, you just say, take 20% of everything off the books. You don't even have time. Just take it all off the books. I don't care if it's, I don't, I don't care if it's, uh, you know, uh, Apple stock. I don't care if it's Philip Morris. I don't care if it's a bond. I don't care if it just, it's gold, just take it off the books. And so you have this drawdown and it's a, it's, and it's steep. And, but we were just talking about the, all the leverage in the system, the treasuries, and there's just too much leverage in, in the US system. They can't let the market draw down too deeply. We can't go into too deep of a recession. And everybody knows this, they've been conditioned to it. And this is the QE moment where the Fed pivots and they step in and they print and everybody's face expecting melting a, print. a face melting print. And you saw it in 2020. And I feel like if we have a credit event, it'd be more like that where you just have a, a straight down, everything goes correlated to one. We have a significant drawdown. It could be 15%. It could be 30%. I don't know if you have a major credit event, but the Fed will come in, the treasury will come in, they'll print and they'll shore up the market. No, 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 we've got this, we've got this, don't panic. And they'll print so much money that your eyeballs will melt. So it'll be the face melting print, okay? If you just have an, a, a 
strong drawdown because of a recession, well, they will step in. Well, we know they'll step in. They've done it before, repeatedly. And Fed's, the Fed's been saying it, Powell's said it a number of times in his press conferences. He said, look, what we can't have is inflation get out of control. If we have inflation get out of, get out of control, that's that that damages the credibility of the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. dollar, and it, and it could lead to hyperinflation. So superinflation, serious inflation leads to superinflation, which leads to hyperinflation, right? Hold on. So, which, so what is superinflation? <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm, I'm just Oh, thinking, you're making it up. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, I was like, we are not. Hyperinflation is like, yeah. you know, what we're seeing in 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 our economies. Yeah. In the UK, over 10%. the US, it got up to 9 and change. But when you get to like superinflation, it's it's really steepening. I, I feel like superinflation is inflation that is is severely damaging to citizens, yet it's not hyperinflation yet because it's not 50% month over month, which is a ludicrous measure by any standard. But anyways, what you can't have is you can't you can't be accelerating into that and they know this so they've got to they've got to calm down inflation they're in a really tough position we've got so much debt on our books every single time they raise rates we're reissuing more debt at a higher cost to pay down the last debt which means that our deficit grows which makes it more difficult for the treasury to dig out of this hole and we know it's unsustainable they they printed a they printed a a a chart, and I wish I had given this to you. There's a there's a chart uh, on one of my uh, on one of my newsletters, and we can you can find it. Yeah, yeah. find it. Which one? It's the chart that shows uh, that shows the it's the it's the to do the newsletter in my in my pinned newsletter. Okay, um, it's the chart that shows the the treasury and admitting how bad debt to GDP is going to get. And so what they did here is they did this report, Peter, mm-hmm. all right? They went and this is the treasury, the U.S. treasury. They did, they, they did a report and they're looking at the, they're, it's like a 2021 report card. Like, how are we doing? And, you know, and they go through and they're, and they're saying, this is, this is how much we're spending, this is how much we're making. And the problem is, <laughs> look at Holy I, shit. This is a report that the U.S. Treasury put out and hat tip to uh, Lynn Alden. She found this um, before any, any of us did. And she, the, she kind of alerted me to it. But the, they're showing here this, this <laughs> just how much the, I mean, it's not funny. This is ludicrous. Yeah, but, but it, this it's is stupid but, funny. But this is, this, in this report, the subtitle of the report, is an unsustainable fiscal path that they literally put that as a subtitle of the report. I mean, for the whole world to see. The historical high was 106% post World War. Post World War mm-hmm. II, understandable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. And this is the expectation. It's a pretty. And for anyone listening, you would have projected thought... to get to like nearly seven hundred percent. Well, here's the here's the thing, though, and what's what's also crazy about this is that this is actually this is actually uh, pretty optimistic. 
right? So if you look at if you look at the U.S. Treasury, so the CBO puts out a report every. There's so much we can talk about, but the CBO puts out a report mm. every every year. Uh, and actually, it's uh, it's periodically. So the last report they put out was last March or last May. They just put one out a couple months ago, and it uh, it talks about the deficits, right? It's basically just, it's a, it's a it's the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office report. It talks about it talks about the the balance sheet of the treasury of course it's all deficits right and so what they're expecting this year is to have a deficit of about 1.4 trillion dollars we can walk through the math i think we walked through it with yeah, greg hold on. So, the ch- that chart they're already at 1.4 trillion for the uh, you know the US um, debt clock mm-hmm. yeah it, so so we're so what ha- what's happened since since last so they they fiscal years in October. Yeah. So over the last six months, we we've actually been running a deficit over a trillion dollars in just six months. So this fiscal year, we're running a deficit that's two trillion dollars, right? So that's what they're projecting. Okay. So that's that's the that's the very optimistic view, but they just they've been putting out numbers and their deficit numbers and if you if you if you add them up from october to now it's 1.1 trillion dollars so they're on a run rate of over 2 trillion dollars for this fiscal year Jeez. yet on yet on that chart what they're assuming is 1.4 trillion now remember everything is exponential well, that was my problem with that chart it was kind of like a straight line yeah it's not gonna, it's like, going it's going it's going to do yeah. this yeah yeah, it's gonna. It so that's the problem. But they, but they they will never allow it to go that far. I mean, Lynn Alden always says that uh, the event horizon for debt to GDP is one hundred thirty five percent. Once you go beyond that, you can't get out of it. And so you can't get out of it. That's it. It's over. Yeah. It's over. It's like we're we're in a debt spiral. Now, okay. Yeah. Let me, before your listeners could you know they go, <laughs> panic panic. <laughs> this can go on for a very long time. All right, this can go on for a very, very, very long time. First of all, look at Japan. Japan's at a debt to GDP over 250%. Yep. They own more of their own bonds than anybody else in the world. They own over 50% of their own debt, the Bank of Japan. And they're still going and nobody's even really talking about it. Okay, so there, this, this can happen. And the U.S. dollar and the U.S. Treasury, I mean, we have the benefit in the U.S. And we're, you know, we have the benefit of being the reserve the global reserve currency and the global reserve asset, right? The dollar and the treasury. So we can do this for a very long time, but what we can't do is get out of it. And eventually it will collapse. I don't know when, I don't know if it's in 2020 or 2100, like when we're, that number is not going to be 700%. That number is going to be so much bigger than that. It's it, but I don't think we get to 2021 or 2000, uh, 2100. Sorry, I don't think we get to 2100. You know, I mean, I don't think this can last until 2050. That's like 30 years. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. This could have. This could go on for decades. So, do you think? Uh, do you think the Fed's going to drop rates? This next uh, meeting? No. Yeah, they're going to go sideways. You think they'll right? I think they're still. On, I, th- I think they're still full. You know, full steam ahead, another 25 basis point raise. Okay. So, um, but I'd also think that that's the last one. I think then they can back off and say, see, here's the, here's the thing. See, you, I'm waiting to hear the Fed say that we're above a neutral rate, meaning it's, it, it's constrictive, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're below a neutral rate, 
it's expansionary. But if you're above the neutral rate, you know, the Fed funds rate, that means that the cost of capital is causing constriction in the economy. But the <laughs> we haven't even been able to see it. So the problem is when they turn and they and they realize that, oh, this is re- like the economy is really starting to not just cool down, like it's wiping out, that it's going to be too late. And that's that's the issue. So that's why that's why you're watching Wall Street and you're seeing the Fed funds futures and they're they're predicting that we start lowering rates this year because they you know the economists and the investors uh, on Wall Street are thinking that this, we're going to hit a spot here with Fed not just pauses but has to really quickly pivot because it's going to be apparent that the the economy is not just going into the tank it's going to be flushed and we're going to like we're nosediving and so that's I think that's a pretty high likelihood what's that's the, what what's the time time spell for that time span potentially. Um, Oh, I mean, it's it's impossible to tell. But, but I think, could it be multiple years away, or are we talking? No, the I next think year? I think it's I think it's in the next six to twelve months. Right. Now, okay. But going back to your original question, I want to I want to make this point. And that's why I I personally hold a lot of cash right now. Everybody talks about cash is you know is trash, and you know, and we're talking about the fact that if you hold on to cash for a long time, well, you're losing purchasing power because of this high inflation. That's a problem. However, in these periods where you're of uncertainty, you, you, you want to hold some cash because you want to have some dry powder ready for when we do have a drawdown because that's when fortunes are made. So, yeah. period. But it's funny because I, I ask it thinking, well, how, how do I kind of protect myself and where are the opportunities? But I also fear scenarios where as a, just as a person, you get wiped out. Yeah. You know, there's a, a personal contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I tell you that where that gradually then suddenly came from? I think you did, but I can't remember. What's that? You know, uh, gradually then suddenly, a lot of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, I was Hemingway. Oh, Hemingway, yeah. It's about, he, he, it's about going back and bankrupt. Mm-hmm. It's gradually then suddenly. Um, and, uh, you know, I just fear a scenario like suddenly there's no, like the market, marketing budget's dried up this year. That yeah. could have been bad for the podcast. You know, and then I can't pay my mortgage, and yeah. then Bitcoin has it a massive drawdown. Yeah, yeah. You st- and, and your entire life changes. And yeah, and then Bitcoin and everything sells off. Yeah, and you and you you have some sort of margin call, whether it's it's literal or something, because you you're not making as much money for the the podcast because the the marketing has dried up, and you know the marketing budgets have dried up. Well, that could cause other things, right? So or there's massive inflation and. You're, you're, the cash you have is you know, destroyed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't see us getting to a spot in in the West here with hyperinflation in in the next year or two. That just doesn't. I don't see that. Is it is it possible? It's, it's, a non-zero, it's a non-zero chance. Well, I mean, like you look at the, you look at that treasury chart. It's it's obviously going to happen at some point. But you think about the craziness of that. It's like I don't think we will enter hyperinflation into the next year or two. It's not like. We're never going to have hyperinflation. No, I mean, but I, even a, that it's a, it can possibly be part of the conversation yeah, is crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and um, again, the dollar, the U.S. dollar, would be the last one to hyperinflate in my in my opinion, or one of the last. I mean, maybe the Swiss franc or something, but you know, it's uh, it'll be one of the last. Yeah. So we've been talking. I've been talking to Danny a lot about buying gold. I've really been thinking about it. I talked to Larry about it this yeah. week. Uh, I was thinking of doing it with cash I hold, just having it in gold. To me, it's some still cash. Yeah. Yeah, some of it. Yeah. And again, you're going to have that moment where the gold could get hit too. 
Uh, but I do believe, I, I believe that gold has, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a strong store value over a long period of time. It's been like that forever. So, um, you know, it, it, it's safe over a long period of time for sure. Um, but again, you just want to, I think you, for me personally, it's, uh, it's smart to have some cash too. I wouldn't have it all in gold. It's a bit of cash, bit of gold ETF, some physical coins, physical, physical backed ETF. That's important. Yeah. yeah. You know? What was the one he recommended? I can't P- remember. P-H-Y-S. Yes, that was it. That was it. Yeah. That's the one he likes. Have I mean, you always been a gold bug? Uh, no, no. Uh, it, it, this last this last couple of years, sound money has become it has become absolutely abundantly important to me, and so that's why I love Bitcoin. You know, um, it's not it's not ready for prime time on the stage with the entire investment community. I mean, it is ready. They Bitcoin, have no idea. Bitcoin's ready, but they have no idea. They're just not. They're clueless still. So, and that's the problem. But once they clue in. That's that. It's a different story. Hmm. Well, and so for long term, I mean, long, long, long term, mm-hmm. you just buy Bitcoin and just put it away. Yeah, of course. Just put it away. It's a it's a real balancing act of of where to put your money. Yeah, because you you have short term needs. Yeah, you have a mortgage. You have to pay for you know. You have to pay employees. You have to. I mean, it's, it's think of the, think of the kids. I have to think of them. The There's a yeah. lot to think about. Yeah, but I still think the fact that we're discussing a potential. <laughs> future hyperinflation event in the you know here in the UK or in the US it's it's it's, it's a, mind a lot. It's, yeah it's mind bending. Yeah. Because when you see it happen in Venezuela or Zimbabwe, you look like, at oh, yeah, Chavez well, they, yeah. or yeah, Mugabe like, and you're like it's because of a dictator. Yeah. It's because of a, a poor economy. It's because yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's manipulation. Oh man. So before, because I want to talk to you about the BRICS nations as well. Yeah. But can we just talk about unemployment as well? Because this is another thing that me and Danny were trying to yeah, rattle through this morning is that there's high employment. Mm-hmm. There's lots of companies who cannot employ people. I was chatting to a lady last night who yeah. runs a recruitment firm. She said, I cannot get temporary staff. Yeah, we're heading into recession. So in your head, you're like, what? how can there be such yeah, high employment? It's head scratching. Companies are doing well, and we're heading into a recession. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that people people talk about that. The Fed talks about it. They say, oh, look, employment's still high. We, you know, and they talk about how we've got to bring employment down, basically. It's but mad, that is mad. We yeah, want people got, unemployed. We want people unemployed. Yeah, it's 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 sickening is what it is. But the, the thing is, when you look at the employment, um, when you look at the employment rate, and you plot it against recessions, and you can you can do this uh, through the Fed. Um, when you do that, you get this uh, you 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 get this lightning bulb moment when you think, oh, you know, and look at it. You you realize, yeah, employment starts to tick up, but it doesn't really become it doesn't really spike until you're actually in the recession. I mean, it, it takes the moment for you to get in the recession for people to lose their jobs. So looking at that at uh, unemployment is actually a lagging indicator. So, and that's, and that's problematic. So, you know, people keep talking about, well, yeah, but unemployment's so low, unemployment's so low. Look at, look at right before each recession, it ticks up a little bit and then explodes. Ticks up a little bit, explodes one uh, one after another, after another, after another. Yeah, uh, 
2020 is a hard one to judge because it was such a weird scenario. Yeah, you, you, you take that out. It's an anomaly. That's a, yeah. that's a tail event. But if you look at, yeah, look at yeah. 2010. But that there is, it, that's an interesting because we had so much lead time fall, like going into this, the, the housing crisis, right? But look at each of them. They're, every every time, single time. Every single time. It's mind boggling, right? So, um, yeah, and that's so. When you hear people talk about, yeah, but everybody's employed, everybody's employed, everybody's yeah. Look, everybody was employed in every single one of these recessions, right up before, hmm. and then everybody lost their jobs. But what is the correlation there between high employment and yeah, high employment pre pre recession? Is it because the inflation has driven this? And yeah, inflation. Well, inflation drives them the all of them you know, the expansion and yeah. then, um, or easy money, cheap money, um, in the last number of recess, recessions that we've had. Uh, but then like if you just walk through the mechanics of it, borrowing becomes more expensive. Uh, so everything's more expensive for the company, the company's profit margins decrease, they decrease to a point where they have to start laying off people, but their profit margins are, or margins are decreasing leading into this. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got to lay off a bunch of, but it happens across the board. Mm. So if, if Microsoft's or Apple's profit margins are de decreasing, just, it doesn't just affect Microsoft or Apple. Think of all the suppliers that go and that create all the components that go into all those products. And then think of all the distribution that's all the manufacturing that's, I mean, it touches everything. So when Apple goes into a recessionary uh, mode, and they they you know end up selling fifty percent fewer laptops than they did last year. Uh oh, that's a problem. And we've seen massive layoffs in the tech sector. We're see, we are seeing tens, massive yeah, They're starting to see, and and so those that'll start rippling through. I mean, how many people have Meta? Have they rebranded back to Facebook now? Have they? I think they might have. I'm sure I read that one. Maybe I dreamed they laid off loads of people. Uh, yeah. Tens of thousands. 10,000 employees. Another 10,000 Another 10,000. And Microsoft laid off a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I heard about um, uh, any layoffs at Apple, but there's a lot of Google. I mean, even Google. Google is such an interesting one. Uh, they're clearly under massive threat from AI. We're not going to get into this now. No, yeah. It's a whole other subject. But there's a real... So... Do you, yeah, remember an, pre, do you remember pre-Google? Yeah. And, and there you have, there's something interesting, yeah. right? So you have AI coming in. Man, AI could not have come at a worse moment, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we're not at true AI yet, but. Do you remember pre-Google? Yeah, I remember like Ask Jeeves. So there was. But it wasn't, no, not no, pre-Google. There was just pre Pre-Google, there was a, yeah. do you remember Alta Vista? Yeah. yeah, that was the yeah, one, that, that was the one everybody yeah. used. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant search engine. And then Google came along and the first time you used Google, you're like, oh, the results are better. And you just stuck with Google. That's the results it. were just yeah. better. But there's never been a reason to go away from Google mm -hmm. apart from now with AI, you can get better answers to specific questions. Mm -hmm. Danny's regularly using it. He, facts, mm -hmm. he fact checks during the show, sometimes yeah. using ChatGBT because yeah. the answers are better. It's a massive threat. Yeah, it's, it's a massive threat. It's not fully there yet. Um, also because it's, the the inputs are controlled. Yeah. So, um, but I, I have to go and fact check some of the stuff I get from ChatGPT. Definitely. <laughs> but what you can do, you can ask it much broader questions, yeah. and then ask for citations on what it's the results it's given you. And so it's sometimes quite useful. Like you can ask it a much more generic question. Like we ask for it to summarize a chapter of a book in an episode, wow. and it gives you like a perfect. Well, I've not read the book, so I'm assuming it's a perfect summation. Yeah. But so yeah. it's useful when you you need a much broader yeah. set of inputs. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
All right, let's talk about BRICS nations. Um, uh, seen a lot of growth and a lot of uh, growth in coverage of the BRICS nations. We've yeah. seen other countries wanting to join them. There's a lot They're of not, chatter about it. Yeah. yeah. So part of me thinks it would be healthy to go into yeah. a multipolar world. It's probably good for Bitcoin. Well, I mean, healthy. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it it could be uh, painful for the, for the treasury. I mean... First of all, let's walk through what it is, right? Well, could, can I just say why I think it's healthy? I yeah. I, I think the U.S. Uh, has too much control over the uh, other countries. Like other countries suffer mm-hmm. under uh, yeah, smaller US, countries. Yeah, really countries. do suffer. Yeah, and it's I think the chance to break away from that. I mean, we made the show with Alex Gladstein about economic imperialism. I mean, it's not good. Mm-mm. And for other countries to have an opportunity to break away from that, I think could be a good thing. Bad for the U.S. Good for the rest of the world. Yeah. But I don't know if ultimately bad for the US is long term good for the rest of the world because of the nations that are part of the problem is how 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 quickly, how how badly. Yeah. So yeah, so BRICS for your listeners is it's a cooperative of countries that have agreed to band together to kind of create their own uh in their own trading economy, right? So they're they're talking about um creating their own currency. They haven't yet because you need you need to have somebody in there, somebody's currency in there that you can trust, or you create one collectively, right? So the, the nations are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, right? So you put all those together, you get bricks. And that's what they're trying to do. It and you're hearing a lot of uh, chatter about, hey, we've got to, we've got to pull away from the dollar hegemony, right? Mm. So we've got it. It's just too powerful. Well, I mean, look what happened last year when when Russia stepped, they they stepped over the line, attack Ukraine. Well, an, the answer from the United States was, well, we're going to seize their treasuries, and we're going to cut them off swift. Okay, so and maybe blow up a pipeline, and maybe 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 it was them. Maybe um, there's only a few. There's only a few operators around the world who could, could have pulled that off. It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't Danny. Danny, where were you? <laughs> I was in that so, little stretch of sea between G- Norway. Ask Chat GPT who blew up the pipeline. <laughs> no, so it won't know because this date is too old. Too old. So. Um, it happened too recently. So yeah, so the, the, that, that's what you're hearing. But now you're hearing of other countries talking about it. And yeah. Iran has just applied and Saudi Arabia is talking about it. So uh, what, they're, what they're looking for is they're, they're really looking for a way to settle trades in non-US dollar denominations. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as the wallet allows you to send and receive Bitcoin privately. Wasabi is incredibly easy to use, even for a non-technical person like me, as it provides you with privacy by default. There's no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi uses CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users. Also, BTC Pay server users can even make payments in CoinJoin which saves on fees and is a massive privacy improvement. Also, from April the 19th, Trezor Suite users can now make coin joins on the hardware wallet, saving on fees and also providing superior security. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T 
Bitcoin.io. Next up, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have Gemini, who I'm using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right now. I'm a hodler. I'm not selling. We're in a bull market, but I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I've been stacking sats through this bear market. Now, both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. I also want to add that the Oslo Freedom Forum is coming up on June the 13th to the 15th in Norway. It's a unique event that brings together brave activists and dissidents from across the world with top names and builders in the Bitcoin space. If you want to learn more or get involved in global Bitcoin adoption, then this is the event to attend. I'll be heading there myself. But if you want to learn more and grab tickets, please head over to oslofreedomforum.com today. Also, make sure you check out Alex Gladstein's new book called Hidden Repression. Alex came on the show last year to talk about how the IMF and the World Bank actually exploit poor countries instead of helping them. And he has now turned that research into a book you can dive into and share with your friends. It's on Amazon today. Just search for Hidden Repression and Gladstein. Do you think this is mainly a political move, mainly an economic move, or it's just both? Uh, both, definitely. Right. Uh, you know, so um, for instance... China just settled uh, a, a very large LNG trade, natural gas trade, uh, with United Emirates, and it was in one, okay. Chinese one. So, um, so it's real. It, they're 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 doing things, or it's happening. If you if you put together the BRICS nations, their GDP is actually now uh, it's cresting the G seven nations. Wow. So it's actually yeah. So um, I I seen a, a chart on that very recently about uh it, it it's it's actually just crested it so when, when they settle the trade in the yuan does that mean that country holds that yuan or do you think they're still sending it back into dollars <laughs> <laughs> no uh well no i i think that they're i mean look they're they're probably they're probably selling it right back into their own currency right uh-huh. um so but uh, Hold on. So, is the G, the GDP of the G seven is falling? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. As a share, as a total share. Oh, as a total share. Oh, this is a percentage. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say that doesn't that didn't make any sense. So it's it's about crossed. Oh, it's crossed already. It's crossed already. Hmm. So it's pretty interesting. So it's real. I mean. Could it, so the, the real question is like what everybody wants to know and what everybody's trying to figure out is, is could BRICS cause the U.S. Treasury to no longer be 
the global reserve asset, meaning the U.S. Because what happens is you want to hold treasuries so you have an easy way to get dollars, right? Because if you if you if you hold your own currency and you need to constantly move that in and out of dollars, then you're at risk. But if you hold treasuries, you're not at risk. If you know you're going to need dollars, you're naturally hedged by owning treasuries. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's why that's why the U.S. Treasury is the global reserve asset because all these countries need they need access to dollars quickly without the interest rate, without the uh, the currency risk the FX yeah, yeah. so the holding treasuries so if they can break away from holding treasuries and and use their own currency then they don't need to worry about propping up the United States and propping up the US treasuries they can sell their treasuries and use their own currency what what would UAE be holding would they be holding like That's a good question. Chinese treasuries. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what their balance sheet looks like to be yeah. honest. So but interestingly, that's that's the that's the question is could this eventually cause the collapse of the US Treasury from being the world reserve asset? Well, what would be the the global reserve asset? Well, you know, the obvious thing would be gold yeah right why because it, it it's been around for centuries it's it's trusted as a, as a store of value and so it's not surprising that you're seeing huge amounts of gold being bought by all these countries recently mm. right and so um ah you think that's why they're buying ahead of this I don't, I mean... Because Russia, both Russia and China have bought a lot of gold. They bought a lot of gold. And it's all started happening. It, it really started to flip. Like gold was, gold was net, on net being sold by sovereigns and central banks um, all the way up until the great financial crisis. And then after the great financial crisis, all these central banks started buying gold. And so it kind of flipped and now it's gone positive. And yeah, there's the there's the chart. So Russia, China, India, Turkey all all accounted for uh, the bulk of, of of those purchases that we're seeing, and that's the interesting part. So, but so, now, so, what, so why do you not think we've seen such a uh, massive rise in the price of gold? Because this is a, like a high indicator. Because gold is manipulated with paper and derivatives. Well, that's what we've been told. But how? I never really fully understand how it's being manipulated. You can, you could, you could short. You could sell paper, create paper around it that you don't really have attached to any reserves that are that are in vaults, right? And I'm not. I mean, I don't know how Goldman is is marking their paper, but they're short massive, massive amounts of 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 gold, and so. Um, that it's uh, it's just a way for them to hold the price down. It's like uh, the Bitcoin future. We just short the short the future, short the future, short the future. Why why is it in Goldman's interest to keep the price down? It's uh, a good question. I mean, that's a that's a that's a probably a much deeper conversation than than this uh, than what we're pointing to here. But you know. Um, the the you don't want gold to be to usurp the U.S. Treasury, right? You right. don't want that. You want the U.S. Treasury to be what everybody holds, right? So you want the Treasury to be the if you're a U.S. centric business, if you're a U.S. person, if you're the U.S. Treasury, that's what you want. So and that's what this is kind of threatening, right? So this is threatening. Is it threatening it really yet? No. 
I mean, the dollar is, is, it's a massive share of, of the, uh, the of a means of exchange across the world right so even if you look at the, it's been falling it was in the 70s and 70 72 percent of of all transactions were done in dollars just what 10 years ago it's fallen it's under 60 percent now it's like 59 percent. but it's still there's nothing near it there's nothing close to it i think the euro is at like 20 or 21 percent so uh it's not even close so the dollar still has a chokehold on the entire world. Let's make that clear. It's mm. not, it's not, it, and it has to do with a lot of different things. It has to do with the fact that treasuries are the reserve asset, okay? It has to do, that, do with the petrodollar, you know, a transaction-based uh, energy transactions are by and large done in U.S. dollars around the world, okay? It also has to do with the fact that countries who cannot lend in their own currency, that have hyperinflated before, that don't have the ability to issue their own debt in their own currency. They have to issue debt in the US currencies, right? They have to issue debt that's based in US dollars. So, so the Euro dollar market is massive around the world, okay? So these are, it's so deeply ingrained into the system. And this is why we say US dollar would be the last one to hyperinflate. It's, 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 it's in everything. But you were talking earlier about like a massive credit event um, mm -hmm. presumably if massive institutions like Goldman are short gold, a gold price running up could cause, like that could be one of the triggers. If they have to mark their books correctly. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna predict that, but I don't, yeah. I mean, if gold if it gold doubled or tripled, that would not be good for them. Interesting. Right? So that would be a very bad moment for them. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's in their interest to keep issuing paper and keeping the price down. So uh, now I'm, I'm not, let, let me back up. I haven't studied Goldman's um, balance sheet. I don't know exactly what they hold. I don't, I don't know that, but I, I've just heard recently that they, they hold a massive negative derivative position in gold. Mm. So, um, so if the BRICS nations form their own currency, do you think it would be like a basket currency? Well, so, so that's the problem, right? So they, none of these countries are really, have really been trustworthy to anyone or each other, yeah. not the U.S. is, but again, U.S. has the chokehold. You know, are you going to trust China that they? Let's say that that you want to have a gold-backed one. Are you going to trust that they have the gold in the vaults that they say they do? Mm. Are you going to send in teams to to audit them? Are they going to allow that? I don't know. I mean, that's so. That's and how much gold would they really have to buy? That's a lot of gold, mm. right? That's a lot of gold to back the one. Another thing is like, look, the Chinese economy is not, it's not a tremendous economy. Um, it's, they, they have their own debt to GDP problems. I mean, their debt to GDP is in the, is in the hundreds as well, three, 350. And they, it, that we know of, we don't know exactly what it is. And their whole economy, their people in, in China, their savings is in their real estate. Yeah. So their homes are, that's what they're, when we talk about, well, what should I buy? Gold or stocks? They don't own that stuff. They own their homes. That's their, that's their net worth. And so all their net worth is tied up in this real estate market. And the real estate market is not good out there. Mm. It is, it is massive problems. We saw, started seeing last year. So, I mean, so who, where are you going to denominate it? It, they, there are problems with it. There's, so as, as much, attention is excitement as, as there's been around bricks, there are 
deep structural problems with those countries already. So it's not like something they're just going to, oh, they're going to band together. The dollar is no longer going to be number one. You know, it's going to, we're going to have a few currencies. They'll start doing trades in, in yuan or their own currencies like we're seeing happen. But this is, again, this is a long tail event. So. Yeah. I mean, you need a single currency for it to be competitive to the dollar. So is it, mm-hmm. that's why I ask, is Good it? Good question. Well, Good. So, so, yeah. it can't be gold. The gold is not a, it's not a means of exchange, right? It's not, it's not, it's not good for trading, for barter. Like no, you, you, you can't, yeah, yeah, I can't say, hey, Peter, um, you know, I, I really like this house. I'm going to rent it from, from you for the summer. Um, I'll give you a couple of gold coins. What? Yeah. Like that's not, that it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. So, um, or Although you want to buy your house, get gold. Even, even worse. Even, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you, do you want to have a cup You want to have it for the summer. <laughs> a cup of coffee. What are you going to do? Scrape off some, I yeah. mean, like what? So, it, however. However, I've heard about this invention. However, <laughs> there is a, there is a new invention. So, but before, before that, before they get to that, mm-hmm. before we get to the Bitcoin, is there a way they can create a, uh, I don't know, like a central bank of bricks where they have a their own currency for it? Because what I'm thinking is, what are the reasons to do it? Is it like if the European Union be like that? Yeah. But who are they going to borrow from? China? Like who are they going to borrow from? Yeah. Russia? The European Union borrows from Germany. So who's going to be who's going to be yeah that centerpiece? Who's going to you know? So do you, do you think it could be something like Bitcoin? Yeah, of course it could be. It could be. It, all right. So why is why is the Bitcoin? I mean, it's not conspiracy. It's just why is the Bitcoin hash rate up over three hundred and fifty now? What is it at? It's three hundred. I heard yesterday it was at three fifty five. I mean, this is. Yeah, it's above three fifty. Keep it up on the. Yeah. Okay, so. What percentage of that is it over the? Look at that rise in hash rate. Who is plugging in miners now? I've heard a number of of theories on this. Part of it is that the S nines are being retired and the and the one forties are being plugged in. Mm-hmm. They're just much more efficient. They they drive that much more uh, hash. Okay, that's one thing. Another thing is you you're you're getting people who are plugging in miners ahead of the. Uh, ahead of this this move in in Bitcoin, right? Because okay. look, it's just think of the function of it. When when Bitcoin's price runs, it's very difficult to get mining set up. All right, let, let's back up. If Industrial Bitcoin fight, scale. If 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 Bitcoin's price falls, just turn off the switch. Yeah, yeah. Pl- unplug that miner. If Bitcoin price rises, okay, and you've already got all your miners plugged in, well. You you have to you have to source energy. You have to source huts. You have to pull energy to the you know to the to the huts. You've got to um, it's that large, source and large plug in miners. It's 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 much more difficult to chase, right? So maybe what's happening is that some of these 140s are getting plugged in, and they're 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 trying to front run the having and get as much hash up there as possible now, especially before Bitcoin's price runs. Um, Maybe it's maybe there's a massive amount of miners being plugged in in China and Siberia, you know. I, that's a possibility. I don't know, but it seem it would seem to make sense that there's that there's there's some sort of state player involved. And if it's not, well, it's just a lot of a a whole lot of miners being plugged in. But it could be. 
it could be Russia's trying to load up on it. You've seen, you've heard them rumble about mm. accepting cryptocurrency as payment for their uh, their their energy. So, and how do you oil. think they would deal with the volatility, or does that not matter because they would just they would just settle their end? I think the difficulty is is how much liquidity is required. You well, could only do small trade. You can how do was Bitcoin done against the ruble? Right. Interesting. Yes. Have a look. Yeah. So, and that's, so that's, that's what they're thinking of. They're not thinking of what's Bitcoin done in the price of the dollar. What's it done in the price against the price of the rule? But I'm thinking, you know, what's a, what's a trade in, I don't know, are these, these are tens of billions, these deals when, when, when they do an oil deal? Yeah, they're, 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 they're billions of dollars. Yeah. So, definitely. but if, you know, you'd have, if you'd settled a, a trade for by billion dollars and it was in Bitcoin first, so you got it accumulate the Bitcoin to be able to settle the trade. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. yeah, so I think we're... we're, we're so you're talking about this. something that's way out yeah. there. This is not something that's going to happen this year. But they could, t they could start testing small trades. Sure, sure. You can start testing small trades and see how it does. I mean, look, the likelihood of, of all of this is it, it's still low in my opinion. I wrote about it because there is some game theory around it. You know, there are, there are scenarios that, that we need to probably start thinking through and hmm. that's and that's the thing that you do i think that BRICS alone would topple the u.s to the u.s treasury today no however there are things that that uh th th this could accumulate i call the BRICS plus and what i mean is you've got the you have iran and saudi arabia joined so b-r-i-i-c-s-s and then plus meaning other countries start to join, right? So we don't know who those would be. And so, um, but when you get enough together, banded together, and you've got enough of economy, what they need is they need, they need enough trade with economies that are both net exporters and net importers, right? So you need countries that have raw materials that can export to countries that have manufacturing, the, to, mm -hmm. to countries who are, who are net importers and, 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 and buying those in those goods and services. So it, it, it's got to work where the U S has the benefit of, yeah, I mean, we can, we can buy and sell in dollars to all the economies, you know? So that's, you've got to, the economy has got to be, it's got to get to some sort of critical mass. Let's mm. say it did. And let's say that Bitcoin does get to a critical mass where it is, it is possible to transact, have these massive transactions daily in energy or in, in goods and, and raw materials. Well, that now you're getting into a spot where it may be too late, but that's now the U.S. has to make a decision, you know? Do they buy Bitcoin? And so this is the game theory, this right? This is the game theory. Do they buy Bitcoin and start backing the U.S. dollar by Bitcoin or do they not? And does the BRICS denominate in Bitcoin or do they not? Do they back their currency? And that's the game theory. Again, far out there. This is, this is far out there thinking, but why not walk through it? Cause it's very, you know, it's on yeah. everybody's mind. Let's, let's, let's talk through it, you know? So if BRICS does, if they, if they buy Bitcoin and they back their currency by it, right? And the United States also does. Well, the treasury probably remains as the, as the global reserve because it's backed by Bitcoin. It's backed by something that is, that's decentralized. It, it, it doesn't, inf it's not inflationary. It's easily transferable. It's, you know, yep. so all those things, right? 
But if, if the BRICS does it and, uh, or the, if the U.S. does it and the BRICS doesn't do it, well, the U.S. Treasury is still going to remain the, the, the global reserve asset, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's back, you've got, or the U.S. dollars, I'm sorry, I'm conflating those. The U.S. dollar remains a global reserve currency backed by Bitcoin. If, if, they, if they do, right, if the BRICS doesn't, then the treasury, then the, the dollar remains, then the, uh, the global reserve, um, you know, um, it, it remains the, the global monetary system, right? So, but if the U.S. doesn't do it and BRICS does it, well, that's where the U.S. could get in trouble because hmm. if Bitcoin becomes a, a, a means of exchange that's widely accepted, and everybody's using it and it beca and it becomes this 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 natural reserve asset that people are looking for that's anti-inflationary while the treasury is doing what we're watching is happening people will start turning to to bitcoin and i think they will start turning and that that's the event where you're talking about well that's when the dollar hyperinflates because it's over you know, and it's not even the BRICS nations. It's just, that's that's it. That's hyper-Bitcoinization, the whole world. Forget about BRICS. That's the whole world, right? So, but I mean, that's a long way off. Uh, yeah, this, this is, wild, not, this is like wild, way out there stuff. But it, yeah, and you can bring up that chart if you want of the, uh, of you the, say the that, game theory. But these things but, can happen quickly. I mean, if BRICS made an announcement in the next year or so. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, cooperate and defect and... Cooperate is is use use Bitcoin and start uh, accumulating it, and defect is you is you don't, right? You you ignore it. So, the thing is, if the U.S. if the U.S. cooperates and they and you if if they cooperate either way, it remains the the reserve currency, right? Because they're going to back the U.S. dollar by Bitcoin. If they def, if they don't, if they defect. And and BRICS, and BRICS does it, and let's call it let's call it BRICS plus, and all, and 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 the rest of the world is is using this currency, and they're they're actually really using it. Well, that is where hyper Bitcoinization is a possibility. It's it's only when the U.S. refuses. Does, does that make sense? Mm. That's it, that, that's my that's my take on it. Now, this is this is my theory, but you know, the, mean, the other thing I don't understand is with the ability to print trillions of dollars. Why wouldn't they be just accumulating a silent large position in Bitcoin? Why wouldn't <laughs> any nation be doing that right now? <laughs> because they're not they're not psychopaths. <laughs> I think they are psychopaths. No, in the good way. I mean, ah, okay. <laughs> I mean, we live in a we live in a little bit of an echo chamber, right? Yeah, we live yeah. in a we live in a Bitcoin bubble. We we talk to a lot of people who understand it. Go out and talk to anybody around here in London, and as I get home, I talk to them in Las Vegas. They're not thinking about this. I know. I they're know. not even thinking. They're not even thinking about inflation. They're barely thinking. They're like, yeah, that's, my grocery bill is way more than it was last year. That's about as far as they're getting. I had uh, Jeff Booth talking to Tom about it last night, and watching the conversation was fascinating. Huh. What did Tom think? Tom was like, because I said, look, just explain to Tom the scenario where we could hit high double-digit inflation, 
And uh, Tom was saying back to Jeff, he's like, yeah, because like, I understand we have inflation, but that's never going to happen. And Jeff was like, no, here are the steps. And I still think Tom was like, no. Yeah. You sound crazy, mate. You just want to pe- want to piece crazy Bitcoin friends. <laughs> you want it to happen because you want your yeah. Bitcoin to go up. Yeah, and, and, and let's make it let's make it clear. I don't want I don't want hyper Bitcoinization to happen overnight. That would be very painful for everybody. Yeah. That would be awful. That would be that would be devastating yeah. economically for the entire world. That would not be good. So no, this is a very slow process and you know, it's uh it's a long, 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 long. <laughs> Gradually, and, suddenly. and then suddenly, yeah. And, and there's a couple of interesting case studies we're going to get over the next year. I think uh, sailors back in the green, which is fantastic. That's awesome because there are yeah. a lot of dicks out there who, uh, well, I think, we're laughing. They're ro- rooting for him to fail. Yeah. They're rooting. They're rooting for that company to to go under. They're yeah. shorting it. They're and they, he was down a billion or so a lot, lot, wasn't he? I think more even, yeah. And now he's in the green. I think his average purchase price is 28000 Yes, I think it's twenty nine. And maybe. what are we at, 30 and a half? Yeah, yeah. You know, the amount of Bitcoin he has, that's, you're talking 140000 Bitcoin. What's that? Times, uh, God, I can't even do the math on that. If we're up uh, $2,000, is that, is that Two hundred eighty million. He's up, or two point eight billion. <laughs> I think it's two hundred eighty million. Also, <laughs> but anyway, he's up, right? But he could be massively up soon. Yeah, and he's going to be like, I told you so. I invited you to my conference. I talked to you about. It. I mean, I think, are you going to his conference next week? I'm not. Yeah. No, no. And then I, I think there's a higher average purchase price, but Bukele's going to hit the green at some point, mm-hmm. and all the people rooting for him to fail, he's going to yeah. be. We were right. They're great. We solved our economy. We've. Uh, it's a long. This is just a very. If you just ride the peaks and valleys, and that's the thing is that people are, people get scared because Bitcoin has these massive runs and drawdowns. But if you're not selling, you just you, you wait it out. The volatility is not a negative when it, the price is 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 increasing over time. Mm. That volatility is actually a positive. That's the crazy part. Mm. So we're gonna we're gonna see you in Miami, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be speaking. I don't know who with or what about, but I'll be okay. There. So we'll see you in Miami. We'll see you maybe November. Yeah, for the F1. Fingers maybe. crossed. Ah, that would be fun. Maybe that would be fun. <laughs> Hold on, didn't fun. I? Didn't we agree the other night if Bitcoin was over 100,000, you and I would split a box? <laughs> we'll see what those boxes are going to cost. They're going to be scary money. Uh, and uh, we'll see you back here next year for another pro- promotion celebration. Let's do it. Fingers Absolutely. Absolutely. James, thanks awesome. for coming over, man. I yeah. appreciate you. Appreciate you coming over. And uh, it's been a good few days. Yeah, it's been awesome. Congratulations on the on the win and and moving. You're, you're graduating up. You're getting promoted. That's awesome. Yeah, man. One, one step. One step at a time. Back to work tomorrow. (laughs) It's awesome. It was great fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank you for coming. Okay. Do you enjoy that one? How good is James? Also, have you noticed how he looks like James Bond? How he looks like Daniel Craig? Anyway, James is super cool. Love him, man. Love having him over here in the UK, hanging out, coming out for the football. By the way, if any of you want to come out for the football, hit me up next season. We will make it a cool event for you. But also, James's analysis is amazing. Go and check out his email newsletter. It's very cool. And his take on the direction of things are heading was very, very useful for me, especially following that, actually, that crazy show I made with Luke Gwoman, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to, do go and check that out. Anyway, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com or head over to our Discord and drop me a message. The links are all in the show notes.